Section three of the most extraordinary trial of William Palmer by Anonymous. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Central Criminal Court, May the fourteenth, eighteen fifty six, part three. Ismail Fisher examined by Mr. E. James. I am a wine merchant at four Victoria Street, City. I am in the habit of attending races and betting. I knew John Parsons Cook. I had known him for about two years before his death. I was at Shrewsbury Races in November 1855. I remember the Shrewsbury Handicap. It was won by the mayor called Polestar, the property of Cook. It took place on Tuesday, November the 13th. I saw Cook upon the course. He looked as well as he had looked at any time since I had known him. I was stopping at the Raven Hotel in Shrewsbury. I know Palmer, the prisoner, very well. I have known him rather more than two years. Cook and Palmer were stopping at the same hotel and occupied a room separated from mine only by a wooden partition. It was a sitting room, and they occupied it jointly. On the Wednesday night, between eleven and twelve o'clock, I went into the sitting room. I found there Cook, Palmer, and Mr. Myatt, a saddler at Rugeley a friend of palmer's they had grog before them i was asked to sit down by cook and i sat down cook asked palmer to have some more brandy and water palmer said i will not have any more till you have drunk yours cook said then i will drink mine he took up his glass and drank the grog off immediately he said within a minute afterwards there is something in it it burns my throat dreadfully palmer then got up took the glass sipped up what was left in it and said there is nothing in it there was not more than a teaspoonful in the glass when he emptied it in the meantime mr reed had come in palmer handed the glass to reed and to me and asked if we thought there was anything in it we both said the glass was so empty that we could not recognize anything i said i thought there was rather a strong scent upon it but i could not say it arose from anything but brandy lord campbell did you put your lips to it? Witness. I did not. It was completely drained. Within ten minutes I retired. Cook had left the room, and then came back and called me from it. We went to my own sitting-room. He there told me he was very ill and very sick, and asked me to take his money. Mr. E. James. Did he state what he was suffering from? Mr. Sergeant Shee. Objected to this question. Lord Campbell. Surely his statement of the effect produced on him by what he had just swallowed is admissible. Witness. He said he was very sick, and he thought that did Palmer had dosed him. He handed me over some money, between £700 and £800, in banknotes, to take care of. He did not sleep in the same room with Palmer. He was seized with vomiting after he had given me the money and left the room. He afterwards came back to my room and again complained of what he had been suffering. He asked me to go to his bedroom. I went with him. Mr. Jones, a law stationer, went with me. He then vomited again violently and was so ill that I sent for a doctor, Mr. Gibson, who came about half-past twelve or a quarter to one. I remained with Cook till two o'clock. I sent for Mr. Gibson a second time, and he sent some medicine, which Cook took. After seeing the doctor and taking the medicine, he became more composed. 
Mr. Jones and I gave him the medicine. Next morning, about ten o'clock, I saw Palmer. I found him in my sitting-room when I came downstairs. He said, "'Cook has been stating that I gave him something in his brandy. I never play such tricks with people, but I can tell you what he was. He was deep drunk.' I should say Cook was certainly not drunk. Lord Campbell. Was he affected by liquor? Witness. Not at all approaching drunkenness, my lord. Cook came into my bedroom before I was up the same morning. He was much better, but still looked ill. I gave him back the money. About three o'clock on that day, Thursday, I saw Cook on the racecourse. He looked very ill. I had always settled Cook's bets for him when he did not settle them himself. I saw his betting book in his hand. It was dark in colour and about half the size of this. The witness here produced a small black pocket-book. On the 17th of November, Saturday, by Cook's request, I paid Pratt £200. His account, in the ordinary course, would have been settled at Tattersall's on Monday, the 19th. I advanced the £200 to pay Pratt. I knew that Cook had won at Shrewsbury, and I should have been entitled to deduct that £200 from his winnings, if I settled his account at Tattersall's. I did not settle that account, and I have not been paid my advance. Cross-examined by Mr. Sergeant Shee. I had known Cook about two years, and Palmer longer. They were a good deal connected in racing transactions. Do you know that they were partners? I don't remember settling any transactions in which they were jointly interested, and I don't know that they owned horses jointly. They appeared very intimate and were much together, generally staying at the same hotels. I was not at the Worcester meeting. I don't know whether Palmer won at Shrewsbury as well as Cook. The races began on the Tuesday about two o'clock. Polestar ran about an hour afterwards, but I cannot tell the exact time. I saw Cook on the course after the race, and he appeared much elated. Polestar won easily. In the evening when I went into the sitting-room, there was a candle on the table. A glass was ordered for me when I sat down. I don't remember drinking anything, but I cannot swear that I did not. I am a good judge of brandy by the smell. I said there was nothing particular in the smell, but the glass was so completely drained that there was very little to smell. I counted the money Cook gave me. I had been at the Unicorn that evening quite an hour before. I dined at the Raven about six o'clock. I did not see Cook after the race on the Wednesday till I saw him at the Unicorn between nine and ten o'clock in the evening. I merely looked into the room. I saw Sanders, the trainer, Cook, Palmer, and a lady. I can't say whether they were drinking. Did it happen that a good many people were ill on that Wednesday at Shrewsbury? I mean people connected with the races. No, I don't know that there were. On the Wednesday it was damp underfoot, but I forget whether it rained. I saw Cook several times on the course. On the Thursday the weather was cold and damp. I don't know that Cook and Palmer breakfasted together on the Thursday morning. On the 17th of November I received a letter from Cook. The letter was read. It was dated Rugeley, November the 16th, and in it Cook said, it was of very great importance to Palmer and to himself that five hundred pounds should be paid to Pratt on the next day, that three hundred pounds should be sent, and he would be greatly obliged if Fisher would pay the other two hundred pounds immediately on receipt of the letter, 
promising to give it him back on the following Monday at Tattersall's. He added that he was much better. Re-examined by the Attorney General. I never intended to say that Cook and Palmer were partners. Did you notice any change of feeling on the part of Cook towards Palmer? He never had any great respect for Palmer, but I did notice a change in him. It was a handicap race that Polestar won. Palmer had a horse called Chicken, which ran on the Thursday and lost. He had betted upon the race. Cook was not more elated at winning than people usually are. I am not sure that I drank any brandy and water while I was staying at the Raven. Thomas Jones, examined by Mr. Wellesby, said, I am a law stationer in Carey Street, London. I was at Shrewsbury Races last November, and I lodged at the Raven. I arrived there on a Monday night. I supped with Cook, Herring, Fisher, and Gravett. Cook appeared well. I saw him on the Tuesday and Wednesday, and he then also seemed quite well. Fisher and I went to the Raven between 11 and 12 o'clock on Wednesday night. Reed was there, and he invited Cook into my room. Palmer was also there. After the party broke up, Fisher came and told me something about Cook, in consequence of which I went with him to Cook's bedroom. He complained of something burning at his throat and of vomiting. Some medicine was brought, pills and a draught. Cook refused to take the pills. I then went to the doctor's and got some liquid medicine, and gave him a small quantity in a wine-glass. He was in bed. About a quarter of an hour afterwards he took the pills also, and I left him. Between six and seven o'clock next morning I saw him again. He said he felt easier and better. He looked pale. This witness was not cross-examined. George Reed, examined by Mr. Bodkin. I live in Victoria Street, near Farringdon Market. I keep a house frequented by sporting characters. I am acquainted with Palmer. I saw him at Shrewsbury Races on Tuesday, as well as Cook. He appeared to be in his usual health. I saw him also the next day, and he was apparently in the same health. I stayed at the Raven. On the Wednesday night I went between eleven and twelve into the room in which were Palmer and Cook. There was more than one gentleman in the room. I had some brandy and water there. I saw that Cook was in pain almost immediately after I entered. He said to us, There is something in the brandy and water. Palmer handed me the glass after it had been emptied. I said, What is the use of examining a glass which is empty? I believe Cook left the room. I did not see him again. I saw him on the following morning at eleven o'clock. He was in the sitting-room. He said in my hearing that he was very ill. Cross-examined. On Tuesday, he was well as usual. He never looked a strong man, but one having delicate health. He was not in the habit of complaining of ill health. By the court. I had some of the brandy and water, and it did not make me ill. Re-examined by the Attorney General. My brandy was taken from another decanter which was sent for when I went in. Cook appeared to be a delicate man, but I never knew anything to be the matter with him. He frequented races everywhere. I never knew him prevented by illness from going to races. William Scaife Gibson I am assistant to Heathcote, surgeon of Shrewsbury. On the 14th of November last, I was sent for and went to the railway hotel, Shrewsbury, between 12 and 1 o'clock at night. I saw Mr. Cook there, he was in his bedroom, but not in bed. He complained of pain in his stomach and heat in his throat. 
He also said he thought he had been poisoned. I felt his pulse and looked at his tongue, which was perfectly clean. He appeared much distended about the abdomen. I recommended an emetic. He said that he could make himself sick with warm water. I sent the waitress for some. She brought about a pint. I recommend him use a feather. He said he could do it with the handle of a toothbrush. He drank all the warm water. Having used the toothbrush, he was sick. I examined the vomit. It was perfectly clear. I then told him I would send him some medicine. I sent him two pills and a draught. The pills were a compound rhubarb pill and a three-grain calomel pill. They were ordered to be taken immediately, and the draught, which was Seneca, a compound of senna, magnesia, and aromatic spirit, was to be taken twenty minutes afterwards. It was what is called a black draught. Half an hour afterwards I gave to Jones, for Cook, an anodyne draught. I did not see Cook afterwards. Cross-examined by Mr. Sergeant Shee Did you form any opinion as to what was the matter with Cook? I treated it as a case of poisoning. Did you observe anything in the vomit which led you to believe he had been poisoned? Nothing at all. Did he appear to have been drinking? He appeared to be a little excited, but he was quite sensible what he was doing and saying. By excited, do you mean to say he was tipsy? No, but his brain had been stimulated with brandy and water. The idea of having taken poison would have some effect upon it. In your judgment, was what you had prescribed a good thing, supposing Cook had taken poison? According to the symptoms, I should say it was. Would it not have been better to get the poison up at once, if possible? He threw up the warm water. Lord Campbell, did that cleanse the stomach? Yes. Cross-examination continued. Yet you thought calomel necessary? Yes, on account of the distended state of the bowels. Did you see anything like bile in the basin? There was some on the edge of the basin, but it must have been thrown up before he took the warm water. Re-examined by the Attorney General. The piece of bile was about the size of a pea. The water thrown up was perfectly clean. Cook's tongue was quite clean. Is that usual in the case of a bilious attack? If the stomach had been wrong any length of time, the tongue would have been discoloured. Elizabeth Mills, examined by Mr. James. In November last, I was chambermaid at the Talbot Arms, Rugeley. I had been so about two years. I knew the prisoner, Palmer, who was in the habit of coming to the Talbot Arms. I also knew Cook, the deceased. On Thursday, the 15th of November, he came to the Talbot Arms. He came between nine and ten o'clock at night. The prisoner was with him. They came in a fly. Cook went to bed at half-past ten o'clock. When Cook arrived, he said he had been poorly, and was poorly then. I don't remember seeing Palmer after he got out of the fly. About twelve o'clock on the following day, I took Cook some hot water, and he went out about one o'clock. He then appeared poorly. He said he felt no worse, but was not well. He returned about ten o'clock in the evening. In about half an hour, he went to bed. I asked him if he felt any worse than when he went out in the morning. He said he did not. He said that he had been dining with Palmer. He was perfectly sober. He asked me for an extra piece of candle to read by. I saw no more of him that night. 
On Saturday morning, about eight o'clock, I saw Palmer at the Talbot Arms. I do not know whether Cook had sent for him. Palmer ordered from me a cup of coffee for Cook. I gave it to Cook in the bedroom. I believe Palmer was then in the room. I left the coffee in Cook's hands, but did not see him drink it. Afterwards, I went upstairs and found the coffee in the chamber utensil. That might be an hour, or it might be a couple of hours after I had taken up the coffee. The utensil was on the table by the side of the bed. I do not remember that I spoke to Palmer, nor he to me, about this. I did not see any toast and water in the bedroom, but a jug not belonging to the inn was, about ten o'clock in the evening, sent down for some fresh toast and water. The waitress, Lavinia Barnes, brought it down. I am sure the jug which was brought down from Cook's room did not belong to the Talbot Arms. I saw Palmer go in and out of Cook's room perhaps four or five times on that Saturday. I heard Palmer tell Cook that he would send him over some broth. I saw some broth in the kitchen which some person had brought there ready-made. After Barnes had taken some broth up, ten minutes or a quarter of an hour after the broth came over, I met Palmer going upstairs towards Cook's room. He asked if Mr. Cook had had his broth. I told him I was not aware that any had come for him. While I was speaking, Lavinia Barnes came out of the commercial room and said she had taken the broth up to Cook when it came, but that he refused to take it, saying it would not stay on his stomach. Palmer said that I must go and fetch the broth. He, Cook, must have it. I fetched the broth and took it into Cook's room. Palmer was there. I cannot say whether it was to him or Cook that I gave the broth, but I left it there. I am sure that this was some of the broth which had been sent in. Some time afterwards, about an hour or two, I went up to Cook's room again and found that the broth had been vomited. About six o'clock in the evening, some barley water was made for Cook. I took it up to him. I cannot say whether Palmer was with him. I cannot say whether or not that barley water stayed upon Cook's stomach. At eight o'clock in the evening, some arrowroot was made in the kitchen. I took it up to Cook. I cannot say whether Palmer was there, nor can I remember whether the arrowroot remained on Cook's stomach. On Saturday, about three o'clock in the afternoon, I saw Mr. Bamford, the surgeon. On Sunday morning, I went to Mr. Cook's room about seven or eight o'clock. Mr. Smith called Jerry Smith slept in Mr. Cook's room during Saturday night. He is a friend of the prisoner Palmer. I asked Cook if he was any worse. He said he felt pretty comfortable and had slept well since twelve o'clock. On Sunday, more broth, a large breakfast cupful, was brought over for Cook. That was between twelve and one o'clock. I believe Charles Hawley brought it. I took some of that broth up to Cook's room in the same cup in which it was brought. It was hot. I tasted it. I drank about two tablespoons. In about half an hour or an hour, I was sick. I vomited violently during the whole afternoon till about five o'clock. I was obliged to go to bed. I vomited a great many times. During the morning, I had felt perfectly well and had not taken anything that could disagree with me. It was before dinner that I took the broth. I went down to work again about a quarter before six o'clock. On the Sunday evening, I saw Mr. Cook. He did not appear to be any worse. He seemed to be in good spirits. The illness seemed to be confined to vomitings after taking food. On Sunday night, I saw Cook last about ten o'clock. 
On Monday morning I saw him between seven and eight o'clock, when I took up to him a cup of coffee. I did not remain to see him drink it. He did not vomit it. Palmer was coming downstairs, as though from Cook's room, about seven o'clock. To my knowledge, Palmer was not there on Monday. Cook got up about one o'clock, and appeared to be a great deal better. He shaved, washed, and dressed himself. He said he felt better, only exceedingly weak. He dressed as if he was going out. Ashmore, the jockey, and his brother, and Saunders, the trainer, came to see him. As soon as he got up, I gave him some arrowroot, which remained on his stomach. He sat up until about four o'clock, when he returned to bed. Between nine and ten o'clock at night, I saw Palmer. He was sitting down in Cook's room. I saw Cook about half-past ten o'clock, and not again until about quarter before twelve o'clock. On the Monday night, about eight o'clock, a pill-box wrapped in white paper was brought for Mr. Bamford's. It was given to me by Miss Bond, the housekeeper, to take up to Cook's room. I took it up and placed the box on the dressing-table. That was before Palmer came. When I saw Palmer, he was sitting by the fire in Cook's room. I went to bed between ten and eleven o'clock. About eight or ten minutes before twelve o'clock, the waitress, Lavinia Barnes, called me up. While I was dressing, I twice heard screams from Cook's room. My room is above, but not immediately over Cook's. I went down to Cook's room. As soon as I entered the room, I saw him sitting up in bed. He desired me to fetch Palmer directly. I told him Palmer was sent for, and walked to his bedside. I found the pillow upon the floor. There was one mauled candle burning in the room. I picked up the pillow and asked Cook if he would lay his head down. He was sitting up, beating the bedclothes with both his hands and arms, which were stretched out. When I asked him to lay his head down, he said, I can't lie down. I shall be suffocated if I lie down. Oh, fetch Mr. Palmer. The last words he said very loud. I did not observe his legs, but there was a sort of jumping or jerking about his head and neck and his body. Sometimes he would throw back his head upon the pillow and then raise it up again. He had much difficulty in breathing. The balls of his eyes projected very much. He screamed again three or four times while I was in the room. He was moving and knocking about all the time. Twice he called aloud, Murder! He asked me to rub one hand. I found it stiff. It was the left hand. By the court. It was stretched out. It did not move. The hand was about half shut. All the upper parts seemed to be stiff. Examination resumed. I did not rub it long. As soon as he thought I had rubbed it sufficiently, he thanked me, and I left off. Palmer was there while I was rubbing the hand. While I was rubbing it, the arm and also the body seemed to twitch. Cook was perfectly conscious. When Palmer came in, he recognized him. He was throwing himself about the bed and said to Palmer, Oh, doctor, I shall die. Palmer replied, Oh, my lad, you won't. Palmer just looked at Cook, and then left the room, asking me to stay by the bedside. In about two or three minutes he returned. He brought with him some pills. He gave Cook a draught in a wine-glass, but I cannot say whether he brought that with him. He first gave the pills, and then the draught. Cook said the pills stuck in his throat, and he could not swallow them. Palmer desired me to give him a teaspoonful of toast and water, and I did so. His body was still jerking and jumping. 
when I put the spoon to his mouth he snapped at it and got it fast between his teeth and seemed to bite it very hard in snapping at the spoon he threw forward his head and neck he swallowed the toast and water and with it the pills palmer then handed him a draught in a wine glass which was about three parts full it was a dark thick heavy-looking liquid cook drank this he snapped at the glass as he had done at the spoon he seemed as though he could not exactly control himself he swallowed the draught but vomited it immediately into the chamber utensil i supported his forehead the vomit smelt like opium palmer said he hoped either that the pills had stayed on his stomach or had not returned he searched for the pills in the vomit with a quill he said i can't find the pills and he then desired me to take the utensil away and pour the contents out carefully to see if i could find the pills i did so and brought back the utensil and told him i could not see the pills at all cook afterwards seemed to be more easy that was about half an hour or more after i had first gone into the room during the whole of that time he appeared to be quite conscious when cook was lying more quiet he desired palmer to come and feel how his heart beat or something of that sort palmer went to the bedside and pressed his hand i cannot say whether to the heart or to the side of the face but he said it was all right i left cook about three o'clock in the morning he was not asleep but appeared to be dozing palmer was sitting in the easy chair and i believe he was asleep i went into the next room and laid down about six o'clock i saw cook again i asked if palmer had gone and cook said he left at a quarter before five o'clock i asked if he felt any worse and he said no he had been no worse since i left him i said you were asleep when i left he replied no i heard you go he asked me if i had ever seen anyone suffer such agony as he did last night i said no i never had he said he should think i should not like to see anyone like it again i said what do you think was the cause of all that agony he said the pills which palmer gave me at half past ten i do not think anything more was said i asked him if he would take anything and he said no i do not remember seeing palmer on that day tuesday until he was sent for on that morning cook seemed quite composed and quiet but his eyes looked wild there was no motion about the body about twelve o'clock at noon he rang his bell and desired me to send the boots over to palmer to ask if he might have a cup of coffee boots returned and said he might and palmer would be over immediately i took the coffee up to cook a little after twelve o'clock palmer was then in cook's room i gave the coffee to palmer he tasted it to see whether it was too strong and i left the room mr jones arrived by the three o'clock train from lutterworth i saw him in cook's room about four o'clock i took cook another cup of coffee i cannot say whether palmer was there afterwards i saw palmer he opened the bedroom door and gave me the chamber utensil saying that cook had vomited the coffee there was coffee in the utensil i saw cook several times before i went to bed he appeared to be in very good spirits and talked about getting up next morning he said he would have the barber sent for to shave him i believe i gave him some arrowroot i did not see him later than half-past ten palmer was with him when i last saw him 
I gave Palmer some toast and water for Cook at the door. Palmer then said to Cook, "'Can this good girl do anything more for you tonight?' Cook said, "'No, I shall want nothing more till morning.' He spoke in a composed and cheerful manner. I remained in the kitchen all night to see how Cook went on, and did not go to sleep. About ten minutes before twelve o'clock, the bell of Cook's room was rung violently. Jones was sleeping in the second bed in the same room. On hearing the bell, I went up to Cook's room. Cook was sitting up. I think Jones was supporting him, with his arms round his shoulders. Cook said, "'Oh, Mary, fetch Mr. Palmer directly.' I went to Palmer's and rang the surgery bell. As soon as I had rung, I stepped off the steps to look at Palmer's bedroom window, where I expected him to appear, and he was there. He did not lift up the sash, but opened a small casement and spoke to me. I could not see whether he was dressed, but I heard and knew his voice. I asked him to come over to Mr. Cook directly, as he was much the same as he had been the night before. I don't remember what he replied. I went back to the hotel, and in two or three minutes Palmer came. I was then in the bedroom. Jones was there supporting Cook. Palmer said he had never dressed so quickly in his life. The question which elicited this answer was, did Palmer make any remark about his dress? After the answer had been given, Mr. Sergeant Shee objected to the form in which the question had been put. Lord Campbell, it seems to me that the examination is conducted with perfect fairness. No leading question, nor any one which could be considered doubtful, has been put to the witness. Examination continued. I left the room but remained on the landing. After I had been waiting there a short time, about a minute or two, Palmer came out. I said, he is much the same as last night. Palmer said, oh, he is not so ill by a fiftieth part. He then went downstairs as though going to his own house. He was absent but a very short time, and then returned to Cook's room. I also went in. I believe Cook said, turn me over on my right side. I was then outside, but the door was open. I do not think I was in the room at the time he died. I went in just before, but came out again. Jones was there at the time, and had his right arm under Cook's head. Palmer was then feeling Cook's pulse, and said to Jones, His pulse is gone. Jones pressed the side of his face to Cook's heart, lifted up his hands, but did not speak. Palmer asked me to fetch Mr. Bamford, and I went for him. Cook's death occurred about three-quarters of an hour after I had been called up. Mr. Bamford came over. I did not return to Cook's room. When Mr. Bamford came downstairs, he said, He is dead. He was dead when I arrived. After Mr. Bamford had gone, I went up to the landing and sat upon the stairs. I had sat there about ten minutes when Jones came out of the room and said, Mr. Palmer wants you, or will you go into the room? I went into the room where Cook was lying dead. Palmer was there. I said to him, It is not possible that Mr. Cook is dead. He said, Oh, yes, he is dead. He asked me who I thought would come and lay him out. I mentioned two women whom I thought Palmer knew. He said, Those are just the women. I said, Shall I fetch them? And he said, Yes. I had seen a betting book in Cook's room. It was a dark book with gold bands round the edges. It was not a very large book, rather more long than square, 
and had a clasp at one end. I saw Cook have this book when he stopped at Talbot Arms, as he went to the Liverpool races some months before. There was a case at the one side containing a pencil. I saw the book in Cook's room on Monday night. I took it off the dressing table and gave it to him in bed. He asked me to give him the book, pen and ink, and some paper. I gave him all. That was between seven and eight o'clock. He took a postage stamp from a pocket at one end of the book. I replaced the book on the frame of the looking-glass, on the dressing-table. Palmer was in the room after that time. To my knowledge, I never saw the book afterwards. I afterwards searched the room for it, but could not find it. When I went into the room after Cook's death, the clothes he had worn were lying on a chair. I saw Palmer searching the pockets of the coat. That was about ten minutes after the death. When I went into the room, Palmer had in his hand, searching the pockets, the coat which I had seen Cook wear. Palmer also searched under the pillar and bolster. I saw two or three letters lying upon the chimney-piece. I never saw them again, but I was not much in the room afterwards. I had not seen the letters before Cook's death. The examination-in-chief of this witness being concluded, the court adjourned at twenty minutes past six o'clock, till next morning, when it met at ten o'clock. End of section three.